so here we are, people. Uh, this is episode actually 41 of Gab with Gwen. And we have my cousin, my blood, my family, Miss Gail, back in the, not in the building, on the phone. <laughs> Social distancing. Social distancing. Um, you guys may remember Gail from episode six. Angry Black Woman, if you haven't heard episode six, you should listen to it. It got a lot of feedback. It's actually a very good episode talking through a lot of interesting topics. So I had to bring my cousin, my fam, not play play cousin, real cousin. Real um, cousin. Real, real cousin. Real. <laughs> uh, back on. And I talked about it. I talked about her in episode, you didn't even hear the episode yet. I'm going to drop it. When you called in, I was editing it. Um, I talked about you in the last one because I said I need to get you here because in the midst of Corona, you're an actual nurse and I need to talk up my cousin, number one, because a lot of you nurses are shitty, okay? So I'm going to keep it real. She don't have to say nothing about her fellow nurses, but I'm going to say it because I've had a lot of experience <laughs> with them and she is a top of the line, excellent nurse on top of her shit, actually cares, super smart, super educated, top of the game. So, all you other people who got your little nurses talking, you don't have my nurse, which is my cousin Gail, who is number one. I just want to say that. So, shout out to her. Oh, and props thank to her. you. Okay. I'll take an imaginary bow while I'm quarantined. Oh, um, Here we go. But we'll kick it off. So, the hot topic now is COVID. Like, I feel like you can't go anywhere without hearing, seeing gesturing anything about what's going on um and i think there are two ends of the spectrum either people are very concerned and they're listening or they're in the yolo phase like the people who are on south beach and they're just living their best life um true it's concerning because i feel as though especially for younger people they feel as though oh if i catch it i'll be fine my own brother is guilty of this because he insisted on going on a cruise. Mm-hmm. Um, coming back, you know, we know cruise ships are really filthy. Disgusting. Um, and, of course, he wanted to go on this cruise, um, came back, and my mother would not let him in the house. And I did not blame her. Exactly. Because she's older. I mean, she's approaching 60. Mm-hmm. And she has underlying health conditions and, you know, it's insensitive of him, irrespective of, you know, he may have lost his deposit, whatnot, to go on this trip. But, you know, he feels as though I'm young, I'm healthy, I'll be fine, not thinking about the residual consequences on others. Right. And he's like 21. Yeah. So, so. his whole genre there, you know, all these junior senior sophomores in college they're all lumped up together you know they're they're in this yolo phase they can't miss one spring break because it will be the end of the world yeah you know that's kind of their mind frame yeah um you know and it's wiping out entire families that's the sad part I saw, did you see that news article about the family in New Jersey it was like an Italian American in Monmouth County Yeah. yeah Crazy. The mother died, and I believe three of her children. Mm-hmm. Um, That's from Freehold, you know, New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've also recently taken care of like a whole set of family members. Um, one of which passed. The other two are hanging on for dear life. Oh my God. Um, one on the ICU. Mm-hmm. 
one that's, you know, in really bad shape. But above all else, you know, these patients right now are alone. Because Because no one can see them, right? No one can see them. Hospitals are enforcing visitor restrictions. Um, In the hospital I'm currently working in, the only way that you can have a visitor in is if, and I'm a ER nurse, so I'll speak from my standpoint, mm-hmm. is in the event that I have a pediatric patient and we can only have one parent slash guardian with the child. Um, so tell me something, right? Tell us something because, so Gail is a nurse in the tri-state area. Right now, New York City is the epicenter. She's right to me as far as I'm concerned, the epicenter too. How are people, like I was Googling and, you know, I we didn't even get to talk about it much, but, you know, I have been adjacent to a couple of cases, you know, not in direct contact. But when I was Googling, like, okay, well, how do you get tested? Everyone's saying, don't go to the hospitals. There's no information really much about which hospitals have it. They have, you can call certain numbers and they'll tell you certain facilities. So you're an ER nurse. Is there a lot of traffic coming to the ER? Are they turning people away? Like, how are people coming into the ER and I know there's not there's a limited number of tests. So are you guys testing everybody or what's the actual protocol and what's actually happening when people are like coming in and being triaged in the ER for COVID right now? So I'm glad you asked that because there is a huge disconnect, even with myself when I needed to be tested, but we'll save that for later. Okay. Um, as it stands, um, COVID has symptoms that mimic other things that are going on. So we're in the midst of flu season. So a lot of the symptoms mimic that of the flu. And we're also starting up on allergy season, right? So it's a very tricky season to be in because that diagnosis a lot of times is going to come based on symptoms. Um, And in many instances, providers, especially because we're overwhelmed, are taking a wait and see approach. Because in actuality, COVID is a virus, right? Typically, a virus will run its course. Uh But what we're finding with COVID is that it is attacking the respiratory tracts. So ideally, if we take the rationale that we take with most viruses, it will run its course. Where we tell patients to come into the ER or to seek treatment is when the symptoms become unmanageable, with home remedies. And by home remedies, I mean Tylenol, if you're having a fever um, above 100.4, um, or body aches, you can take Tylenol. What they found is that Motrin can exacerbate symptoms. So yeah. you should not take Motrin or ibuprofen if you suspect you could have COVID. And honestly, I just say at this point, with it being as contagious as it is, people should just stay away from Motrin because you know, people are coming up positive who can't trace a known contact. So we're doing, we're recommending Tylenol for fevers and body aches. If you have a cough, which is a major symptom that people are having, because as I mentioned, it attacks the respiratory tract, you can take over-the-counter cough medicine. If it comes to the point where your breathing is compromised, if you have an underlying respiratory disease to include asthma, COPD, something along those lines, and you find that you're using your inhaler more than normal, or you're using nebulizer treatments and you're not getting any relief, then you would seek care at an emergency room. It's not 
a first line at this time right. only because the system is so overwhelmed. You know, we're in a bottleneck where hospitals don't have enough beds. You know, a lot of these patients, when they do become critical, are going to the ICU. And there's just, it, everything is affecting in the hospital because when these patients leave the rooms, we have to wait four hours before we can clean them. What? And yeah. Wow. Well, that because must have like, an impact on the beds, though, because half the time in the hospital, you're waiting to get a damn bed. Exactly. Wow. So this is where I say there's a huge bottleneck, because when these patients come in or, you know, we want to move them or we finally get a bed available. And of course, we're getting a lot of our information as it arises, because this is still very new. You know, we're taking a little bit of whatever China wants to give us. Right. A lot of what we're learning from Italy and other countries who are all themselves going through the same thing. Right. So what we found is that in the research that I am reading and that the hospitals are going by is that this can live in the air for up to three hours. Okay. However, I recently read an article from, again, going back to these cruise lines, mm. but Princess Cruises, I believe, mm -hmm. um, they put out that, you know, a lot of these ships were in quarantine because they had patients affected, et cetera. And they're saying that it remained in the air for over 13 hours after what? passengers left. How, how, so, how do you, okay, I'm sorry. How do you measure if a virus is in the air? So they go in and take samples. So they have to lock down and it's basically where scientists go in and they assess the air quality, very similar to how they assess pollution, et cetera. Ah, okay. Um, so I have a question so, though, just back to the yeah. coming in. So it sounds like, you know, unless you are exhibiting major symptoms because you couldn't let the virus uh, run its course, then you should not be going to the ER. Does that mean that people are getting turned away then? So, of course, we have Mtala, so we cannot turn patients away. So if patients want to come to the ER, they're more than welcome to. However, the ERs are not randomly testing patients, mm. right? Yeah. Because everyone wants to get tested. Right. So I do know in the tri-state that they're setting up testing sites at different places, mm -hmm. Some places have drive-through testing. Um, other places, your primary can arrange for it. And a lot of, again, a lot of providers, when you call them, they're not even taking patients in the office, only because right. it's so contagious that, you know, one person comes in and it starts the cascade. Mm. So a lot of providers are moving to telehealth and they're assessing you over the phone. A lot of hospitals have triage lines. Um Health district, health counties have triage lines. So, you know, this is a time where I implore people to put these smartphones to use and do a little bit of work. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you can put the information out until you're blue and patients don't listen. Um, they refuse to read. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's very bad. You know, like I had a family ready to fight my colleagues the other day because we were enforcing visitor restrictions, right? And I think anyone who would read and see what's going on would understand or should understand why we have these going on. But so why were they, so I'm sorry, they, they know the patient has COVID and they still want to go in there? Highly suspected. So there are instances where we can say, mm, we look at you know, how the patient is presenting, lab work, x-rays, and you can 
kind of make an assumption based on other positive patients that you have based on the symptoms and how everything else looks. And this patient was highly suspicious. Mm. And the family were demanding the patient be released. What? You know. So then, wait, wait, wait. How does someone end up in the hospital for it and then they want to take them out? I don't understand. Because, again, we live in America. <laughs> and people can tout and behave badly and get their way. Um, and, you know, this is just an uphill battle that we're fighting, you know, not only are we lacking supplies and all this other stuff, but, you know, you also have to deal with what comes with it. And in a lot of instances, it's fear, you know, and even as a medical professional myself, I understand that this is my job, but it's very fearful going into work now because, you know, um, you don't know if you're walking out you know, contagious, you don't know um, what's going on. And of course, you never want to do something that could harm yourself or someone else. Mm. Um, But we've seen the trajectory of this disease. And unfortunately, you have many unknown carriers. Well, you know, so yeah, Yeah, and anyone at the hospital could be a carrier because just being in that environment. So if it's a receptionist, if it's whoever, it's just Correct. By default. So I do know one hospital that the entire cafeteria is now closed because mm. um, they had cafeteria workers that were positive mm. um, and basically just ran rampant through the whole department. So now they had to outsource that um, because they have to thoroughly clean everything in the kitchen. And again, this is no reflection on cleanliness. I've heard many people saying that, oh, it's because people are nasty. I do get that the origin of this disease is unknown, and I'll leave it at unknown because of 45. Um, But it's not nasty in any way. Um, You know, we do recommend hand washing just because you use your hands and you touch so many surfaces that you're picking things up and transferring them unbeknownst to you. Um, but it's no indication on someone's personal hygiene status if they contract COVID, right? right? Um, I do also hear a lot of, oh, it's very similar to the flu. Um, I have taken care of patients that have the flu, Mm -hmm. and I have taken care of patients that have COVID. Mm -hmm. It is not one and the same. What do you notice Um, as differences? Um, what I notice is that it's a very sudden decline. Mm-hmm. Um, your patients go from zero to a hundred very quickly. And normally you can put a patient on a ventilator to um, help their lungs or sometimes to give their lungs a rest in hopes that, you know, with antibiotics and treatments that they will recoup. A lot of times with these patients when they're ventilated, they deteriorate very quickly. Um, And a lot of patients are dying on ventilators or providers are calling families and letting them know there's nothing else they can do. Um, And a lot of families are making the hard choice to make family members do not resuscitate. Um, So wait, what is, but hold on, that sounds a little weird. So does that mean that it's gone too far so being on a ventilator doesn't help? Or is it, there's some type of adverse reaction or something happening when you're on a ventilator. So it's not an adverse reaction, but the way I like to explain it is like, 
Do you remember? I mean, you didn't grow up in Jamaica, but you've been there plenty of times. Yes. So you know how you go to the shop and you can buy the balloon off the little chart? Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have one balloon that's like very floppy. Like it's very easy for you to blow into it. No issue. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you get the balloon that's really thick and it takes a lot more effort to blow it up. Right. So imagine that that's your lungs, right? Mm-hmm. And a good healthy lung is the floppy one. Mm-hmm. Um, and as your lung develops scar tissue, et cetera, um, it becomes thicker, which would be the thicker balloon, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's harder to ventilate a thicker balloon, which translates to blowing it up, mm-hmm. versus a healthy balloon, which is the floppy one, which it's very easy. You take one breath and you can blow it up. Mm. So think of that as your lungs. Okay. The floppy one is a healthy lung. The thicker is a diseased lung. Mm. What we're finding is that these patients, they have the thicker lung. It's harder to for their lungs to expand. It's harder, which translates to ventilating them. Mm. So it's harder to ventilate these patients. So their lungs are becoming very rigid. Mm. So we're maxing out on ventilator settings. Um, we're maxing out our medications to keep them comfortable. So in essence, we're running through a lot of the resources that we should be seeing improvements with, and we're not getting any improvement. Mm. Um, so a lot of times, you know, we, we like to talk about prevention. So, you know, like I've mentioned, this is all very new. So it's not like the flu where we can say, oh, get your flu vaccine, even though it's not 100%, mm-hmm. but at least it will protect you from major strains. Mm-hmm. So what we do know is that we're following restriction of staying home. I cannot stress enough how important it is to socially distance yourself. This is not the time to go and visit your friends because you haven't seen them. This is not the time to go hang out at the bar. This is not the time to take the trip. And I am saying this as an avid traveler myself, this is not the time to do any of that, right? Because it takes 14 days for symptoms to show. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I can't remember what I did two days ago, what says 14. So we don't know what we're coming in contact with, Mm -hmm. you know, what someone else is passing on. You know, we live in a tri-state area. People live much closer than in other parts of the U.S. So it's imperative that we follow social distancing, you know, try to cluster any errands that you do have to make, um, hand washing, frequent hand washing, and basically quarantining yourself, which is a responsible thing to do if you feel that you have been exposed and you're having symptoms. Now, if you start to feel like you're having symptoms, you know, you have a cough, you have a cold, um, Um, you have throat pain or discomfort, you're having increased shortness of breath. Um, if you aren't asthmatic, you know, um, you're using your inhaler more than normal. Um, we do recommend that if you're a smoker, that during this time, especially that you quit smoking, um, which is highly beneficial. Um, and then if you're spiking fevers that are not relieved by Tylenol, then you would seek medical attention. Um, For some, you can call your primary care. Um, You can call many hotlines that are set up in the counties. 
um, and specific hospitals are set up to deal with testing. So I do know some hospitals, like in a tri-state, your primary care has to call and schedule this appointment. Oh. I, I do that. think that this also leads to some disparity because we do have many patients that don't have a primary care provider. And I also feel as though this is where the information falls through the cracks um, because, you know, we have a very complex healthcare system, even without COVID. And I feel as though this has only complicated it even more um, to where the system, we may actually have a complete healthcare collapse, I believe, in the years to come. But why? So I have, I have a couple questions. So if someone does not have a primary care provider, or if that primary care provider can't provide the right information, should they be utilizing urgent care? So I don't want to badmouth urgent care, but I personally, how can I say this nicely? I personally do not encourage them only because they're very limited in their resources. Now, I would say if you can call around and see if the urgent care is offering the COVID testing. And also, I think that patients need to allow healthcare professionals to treat them within their scope. I feel as though, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we're in the midst of flu season, we're in the midst of um, allergy season, and then we also have COVID. So, and then of course, there are other things that we can check for like strep. So I also feel as though patients, despite the COVID scare, you know, we can't just rush to just COVID being the first thing. Now, granted, it's the most emergent thing, but I also feel as though if you're having symptoms, you need to be assessed. But listen, um, if you don't have primary care, urgent care can work in that event. It depends on what suits your financial needs as well as your immediate needs. But you this can is go the thing. I, I tell care. you from an insurance perspective, and I can say it for a couple of companies I work for, you can sometimes get, I'm not going to say penalized, but your insurance may be highly urging you to go to urgent care. So and this is for people who have insurance, let alone people who don't. So I, I'm just thinking in, in the grand scheme, all of this pressure that's going to be on the ER, and it, it's because, look, it's an important issue. You can't, you're getting bombarded with it in the news. So listen, any tickling and throw, COVID, any, listen, every time I'm like, uh-oh, is this COVID? <laughs> Anything you think is COVID. But maybe to take off, you know, the pressure on the ER or people who really need it, I do think urgent care, which I, you know, you know, okay, I'm going to keep it real. I sometimes feel like urgent care is the rejects, the people who couldn't really make it. That's what ends up working. I'm going to be real. That's what I see. The reject doctors, the reject whatever. Like, look, they, the one who graduated bottom of the class, who barely made it. I wouldn't say reject per se. I will say that it's, I have seen some very good ones, you know, but as with anything else, you know, I've seen good and bad in varying aspects of healthcare. Um, but what I think is that, you know, if you're going to go to urgent care and you, and you have a primary care, there's no real difference as far as, you know, urgent care doesn't have the same resources. So they don't have x-rays. A lot of them don't have CAT scans. A lot of them don't have phlebotomy services. So yeah, really but you can't truly, get my own. And you know, my doctors, same as my mom, my parents, you can barely get an appointment with the man. I love him. But it, take, it, it takes a long time to get True. in. 
and I think urgent care is convenient. Yeah, it's but convenient. As far as not having like you know X-ray, CAT scan, you know blood work, a lot of times there's no difference from going to a PCP. However, if someone does not have a primary care or depending on the symptoms that they're having, urgent care may be the right option, right? So I'm not going to knock it right. um, because right now I'm telling you, ERs are all over, are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's a bad idea, right? They can at least rule some things out. They can check you for the flu. Um, they can check you for like a strep throat. Um, it just depends on the symptoms that you're showing. And like you said, you know, COVID is all in the news. So it's, it's right at the front of everyone's mind. Um, you know, so you can go there to be checked out. Some, a lot of times urgent care will in turn send you to the ER. Um, and then, you know, when you go to ER, you're assessed, you're triaged. What I'm also finding is that patients want to be checked to see if they have it, if they have COVID, if they've been exposed. And a lot of times they're having mild symptoms. And I don't say mild to be insensitive because I think when you categorize something as a mild symptom and what someone feels as a mild symptom is two different things. So I could say your symptoms are mild, but you feel like crap. Right. So I say that not to discount what someone may be going through, but in the grand scheme of things, if you're still walking, talking, breathing, you are relatively stable in comparison to the patient that I have that I may be trying to intubate or trying to save from an intubation or something else. So it's definitely conserving our resources. You know, countries like Italy, I think initially they started saying they're not treating anyone over 80. Now they've dropped that to 60 because resources are so thin. So, uh, so I have a question. In terms of the manifestation of the symptoms and the severity, right? It takes fourteen up to 14 days, I think four to 14 days to incubate. Then what? So you have this cough, blah, blah, blah. Is it persistent or does it go like, is it a quick thing? Like, okay, the cough happens and then your fever is off the chain or is it like a slow build? What is like the life cycle of it that you've seen? So what I've seen from multiple patients, and I think... At this point, I've taken care of 12 confirmed okay. patients, right? Because I was keeping track. So I think I've taken care of about 12 to this point. Um, what I've seen is that a lot of the patients also have an underlying pneumonia. Mm. So they're going to have the symptoms that come with pneumonia. So you're going to have a lot of times that persistent cough. Mm-hmm. Could be productive or non-productive. Right. Um, and then you can end up with the body aches, general malaise, um, fevers. Um, and again, a lot of times the fever will initially react to Tylenol um, and, you know, it will break the fever. And then as the disease progresses, you know, your breathing gets worse. Uh, your fever becomes more uncontrollable. It's taking longer for the Tylenol to work. So those are just some of the things that we're seeing. And how long do the results take, right? Because I question this because these celebrities who all apparently had no symptoms getting tested. So how long does it take for the results to come back? So I am in different um, groups for medical professionals. And 
I am seeing that it depends on where in the U.S. you are. In the tri-state, it's one of the biggest issues that we're having Mm -hmm. because it's taking anywhere from three to five days. Mm. I'm seeing patients that pass away before we even get the results back. Mm. Um, You know, and this is where, you know, a lot of times when patients come in, we're trying to explain to them that even if you are positive, if you are not having pressing symptoms we are discharging you home to home quarantine so not every patient despite a positive result will be admitted right um a lot of times we will at the hospital i'm I'm at currently we discharge patients to telehealth so virtually a nurse a nurse practitioner pa or md will call patients um, and basically assess their vitals over the phone. Um, I have one such patient that was on telehealth, and when he called in and gave his vitals, they noticed that his oxygenation was going down, especially with activity. Um, so they had him come in. Um, and it's a good thing that they did because he ended up having to be on oxygen around the clock. Um and he just needed to be monitored a lot closely, a lot closer. Um, so those are some of the instances that I'm seeing. So yes, you can be positive. Yes, there are different extents. So of course, I see a lot of the same celebrities, you know, they're positive and people are like, oh, well, they're being paid to say that they have it. I cannot attest if they're being paid or not, but I'm seeing patients that are positive that are fine. And I'm seeing the other spectrum where they're not. So what's the, I don't, I guess probably don't have the answer because it's so new, right? Is it primary, like everyone's saying, okay, it's older, or if you have some comorbidities or some underlying things, is it primarily if you have like a lung or respiratory underlying condition or is it like high blood pressure is it high is it uh diabetes right because the first rumor was black people not getting covid no one's dying (laughs) all the rumors have driven me crazy then suddenly we're seeing black people obviously get it and look black people over index on hypertension diabetes all these things so are those comorbidities putting you more at risk or is it primarily if you have some type of respiratory associated asthma, COPD, whatever, is it that, or does it not make a difference? So, you know, as you mentioned, it's still very early as far as assessing the data, but what I'm seeing from my experience, the patients I am taking care of, um, a lot of my patients don't have comorbidities per se. A lot of the patients that I am seeing are relatively healthy despite age. So I do, I have taken care of some older patients, but these, a lot of them are anomalies. You know, they, they may be on one medication, which may be a cholesterol med or something, but they're not on like a slew of blood pressure meds or anything like that. But I also think it has to do with demographics because I work in a very sophisticated suburban area Mm -hmm. so my demographics are different in comparison to if I worked in a more urban community Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. so the info that I am seeing from my experience won't necessarily translate with someone else who works in an area that has more minorities with more comorbidities Mm, got it so 
But based on what I'm seeing, <clears throat> there is no, like, there's no basis off just age. I can tell you that for sure. Um, you know, I've had the youngest patient I've taken care of was 26 or 27, somewhere there about. And I've taken care of a positive patient all the way up to like 80s. Right. The outcome has varied on many. Again, I work in the ER. So even with the bind and, you know, we're what we're calling holding patients a lot longer in the ER because we have nowhere to send them because of this bottleneck that's happening. Um, a lot of times I don't get to track the outcomes mm. <laughs> unless, you know, maybe I see a colleague or something. Um, but a lot of times we don't get to track the outcomes, yeah. which is pretty sad because, you know, you would kind of like to follow through, see what happened, but it doesn't always happen that way. That's what that's how hospitals are. Unfortunately, that's how our system is set up. It's Correct. disjointed. Wow. So, I mean, so yeah, I guess it's still TBD. So how do you feel as a worker, right? You're on the front lines. Is the hospital or our hospitals in general taking precautions to mitigate your risk and protect your health because you're on the front lines? And look, how are the supplies? These N95 masks we keep hearing about, do you guys have enough? Like, what are they doing to protect you? Because if you're not protected, then how is that going to help other people? So I will say this. COVID came and caught every hospital. I There's no hospital at this point that can say that they're championing anything, right? Mm-hmm. It, COVID came and caught them all with their pants down. Mm. No one was prepared for this. You know, and I'll say that many hospitals, you know, especially the educational departments, um, environmental, I mean, not environmental, but public health, you know, they spend so much time focusing on things that cannot help us in an emergency, right? Mm -hmm. We've spent so much time and resource on bullshit. And now that we have a pandemic upon us, everyone is scrambling, right? There is no feasible emergency disaster plan in place. Um, You know, people are just, you know, scrambling for, you know, a lot of information we're getting is from other hospitals, you know, what are you doing? Oh, let's try this. And then if it doesn't work, you know, you're rushing for something else. Supplies are at the forefront because, you know, healthcare professionals are speaking up, but there is a true shortage and it's a very scary feeling because eventually, you know, considering that we have not peaked in the U.S. at this point, you know, it's very troublesome to think that pretty soon we're going to run out. Right. Um, when you look at the protective equipment that like China wears and countries um, to the east, they have full garb. Here we have like the equivalent of a trash bag, um, an N95 mask, and if you're lucky, you get goggles. Um, my hospital is signing out one mask per shift. And they're giving you one goggles per shift. Um, I've worked a couple of shifts where they don't have hairnets, um, boot covers, things like that. So, you know, for us, we're just 
trying to take the precautions of, you know, sometimes I'll bring clothes to work and shower before I leave. Um, They're also giving us, they didn't give us scrubs in the past, but now they're giving us these temporary scrubs to use uh, while we're at work. And so what about Um, testing? They know you're exposed, right? Even if you're not directly exposed, which you are, but say you're just being in that environment, are they doing like a certain cadence where workers are getting tested or what? No. Um, And it's very concerning because, as I mentioned earlier, for me, I've been taking care of confirmed positive patients for the last three weeks. One of the areas that I work in has been one of the hardest hit for the state. Um, they've been on quarantine for two and a half weeks. It's, it's a lot of cases coming out of there. And um, there is no plan in place for employees whatsoever. Um, I think when it first started, and um, there was a much greater risk and people were much more fearful. Um, they were sending nurses home, quarantining nurses, but they don't have you know, hospitals run short staff on a regular basis. Now you tie in COVID, Mm -hmm. which is requiring a lot more nursing care Mm. because the acuity is higher um, and they just can't spare the staff. Um, I am self-quarantining myself. I am taking the time off. And even for me to get tested was a whole rigmarole because no one could figure out where I needed to go. One person told me to go to employee health. Employee health said, heck no. They didn't even want to talk to me once they figured out I was an ER nurse, right? They were like, oh no. Um, We will give us your phone number. We will call you kind of deal. It was a very brief interaction. Um, They called, by the time they called me on telehealth, I was already back home and they're like, oh, because you work in the ER and we know we have so many confirmed cases, we will swab you. Mm. I don't think it should have taken all of that, right? Yeah. I'm not going to lie. You have my name, my employee number. You know I definitely work here. It shouldn't be like this complicated to get tested, right? And that's um, for you, so- who they know is on the front line, and you're right in it. So imagine Correct. people who are have less resources, less education, less access come on correct and you know i recently had to get someone else tested because they returned from spain and they were having symptoms Mm. and that was a nightmare that took at least three days for us to figure out where to get tested the testing sites are overwhelmed they're running out of tests you know they they're not and they're not prepared for the influx of patients that they're getting right um, and of course, there's paranoia everywhere, you know, but what people also need to remember is that unless you're having severe symptoms, mm-hmm. honestly, I get that it's unsettling, not knowing, but if you do not have critical symptoms or if you can take over the counter meds to um, minimize your symptoms, then try not to overwhelm a lot of these resources. Because, again, it's taken three to five days for these results to come back. Yeah. But the problem is probably there's no over, there is no over-the-counter either right now. So uh, if you... I mean, go, there's no cure. But, yeah, I mean, but even if you in go the to hospital, the store, there's nothing. There's no, there's no medicine. Oh. The, the, the pharmacies are out. 
uh, I tried to get like emergency. You can't find it. You know, the way people are hoarding supplies now, I think just overall, there's a shortage. So it's hard to get Tylenol. It's hard to get these things uh, right now. I mean, that's the truth too. Oh, yeah. I mean, toilet paper is hard to get. You know, it's you know, it's just, it's just a very sad state that we are in. Um, you know, hospitals are eventually going to run out of masks. And then, of course, in anything, they're the scammers. So, um, you know, I was just reading an article. A hospital in New Jersey got scammed. Um, they bought a 1,000 masks that they under the guise that they were in 95 masks. Mm-hmm. And these are not. These are just like floppy masks that someone just kind of put together and mm-hmm. sold this hospital a thousand masks. That's the, that's the, yeah, that is the problem. And the thing is that people don't realize that hospital workers are not the only ones who use N95 masks. I was talking to my sister, you know, she's an engineer. I'm going to get her on here. They do a lot of, she's an essential person. Her her employees, her staff is all essential where they do like aero defense, uh, like machinery and all the stuff. They use um, N95 masks as well because of the, the hazards of their, mm. their job, right? So people have to understand that, yeah, we have it for this, but there are other people who are considered essential for other industries, stuff like that, who also use N95. And, you know, it's stretching thin across the board. And I said on my last episode that, um, you know, the way America set up and we manufacture everything in China, China, the priority will not be to send us any masks because they need them first. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I feel as though this is a, a wake up call. Yeah. Um, I think for everyone, you know, a lot of the things that we thought could never happen are happening. Um, I can say from my professional standpoint, I never thought that I would see the day where we're in this situation. And I say that because... Should, I want to say this, though. You're also in the military, so people need to know that. Like, you also... <laughs> she's seen, like, been a nurse in, like, war situations. So, so go ahead. For me, you know, I've served 10 years in the military, and I've been doing this. I've been in healthcare for 13 years, and... I never thought that I would see a day where the policies and procedures become so lax, where safety is out the window. You know, in the medical field, we joke a lot about like joint commission. Mm-hmm. And these are normally people that come in and the main focus is they don't want to box 10 feet from the ceiling, you know, and hospitals go through a whole rigmarole to set up for these inspections. You cannot have drinks at the nurses' station. You, you know, it's all about being presentable. Mm-hmm. And now all of this has gone through the window. You know, mm-hmm. it's almost like every hospital is on fire and it's just, we are just in survival mode. Mm-hmm. It is crazy. You know, like, I will show you a lot of what we're doing offline about, like, what's going on. But just to see what's happening, it's frightening. Um, You know, I will say a lot of my colleagues and I, and like, you you know, I've spent 10 years in the military. I feel like I'm somewhat prepared for disasters, but it's very anxiety producing what we're dealing with. Um, When you're seeing the end result of this, I'm not just watching on the news, like I'm literally watching patients die. Yeah. Right? Right. Um, so it feels like I'm working in a graveyard. So I've, I'm dealing with death on a higher magnitude than I could ever imagine. And it's a very sad death. You know, people are dying without family. 
Um, they're highly contagious. We have to minimize the amount of time that we're in the room. Um, we don't have the correct gear. Um, so all of these things are weighing on us as medical professionals mm-hmm. because, you know, it's very, it's making it harder for us to do our jobs. Right. So normally N95 masks, we're supposed to dispose of them um, after a patient because, you know, the contagious particles can get on the outside of the mask. These hospitals at this point are like, no, you know, you can reuse it. So they're telling us to place them gently in a Ziploc bag. Mm -hmm. And then that's your mask for the day. So when you come to work, like when I go to work, I sign out a mask. Mm -hmm. And if they have supplies, I sign out a goggles. Mm -hmm. And that is basically it for the day. Wow. Um, so it's supposed to be changed after like each individual patient, but due to the restrictions on the supplies right now, they want you to use them all day. Correct. So initially when the shortage was anticipated, they they tried to make leeway and say that we could use the mask for initially they said you can use the mask for eight hours. No, no, six hours. And then they changed it and said you can use one mask for eight hours. And then it became, we don't have enough for that. So it's one mask for the whole shift. So is this based on any science or they're like, well, fuck it. Look, we don't have supplies, so we have to stretch it. There, There is no science, right? Okay. Because the rules and the rules are put in place based on research, right? In medicine, we use evidence-based practice. So everything that we have policy-wise is based on evidence, based on research. Mm -hmm. So all that we've been doing is supposed to be following rigorous evidence-based practice that is proven, that is qualitative, that is coming from a reliable source. Mm -hmm. And this is what we've been following. However, we have, like I said, hospitals are called with their pants down. Mm -hmm. You know, they backs against the wall, they don't care what happens, and they're just making impulsive decisions because it's easier to lax the policy than for them to be held accountable to rise to meet them. Mm. It's easier for them to say, we're one mask per ship, versus them saying, oh no, we need to find a way to ramp up supplies. We need yeah, to find a way to the manufacture these. How do you how do you get a supply of N95 masks when we manufacture the majority of shit in China and China still listen outnumbers all of us population wise? They're going to need it first, and the supply is down. I mean, that's real. You know, I did talk about you know the designer, Kristen Siriano. He had he had won like Project Runway years ago. He designs like stuff for Oscar dresses, stuff like that. Governor Cuomo is in contact with him and he's now repurposing his seamstresses or whatever to start sewing masks. So I don't know if it's N95 masks, but, you know, he's going to start repurposing that. And I've seen a lot of news about different, like the car industry, different um, types of businesses trying to switch their manufacturing facilities to work on supplies that are needed for the epidemic. So like the car manufacturers in Detroit want, they're trying to appeal to the White House so that they can change their, it's not supposed to be a lot. I'm going to have my sister talk about this because she knew about it and then I saw it online. They're trying to switch so that they, they can create ventilators 
um, because I know you saw in the news that FEMA, mm-hmm. the government, said they were sending 400 ventilators, and Cuomo's like, I need 30,000. What the fuck are you going to give me with, 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 with 400? Right? Oh, yeah. So, But the, the more pressing issue comes that, you know, and this is where I think that there's no, stri- there's no strategy around how these hospitals are functioning, mm-hmm. and um, this is my first crisis as a civilian because I've only been out the military for two years and it's frightening because you know a lot of civilians are not accustomed to working under pressure and Mm -hmm. I feel like they're making a lot of short-sighted decisions that Mm -hmm. they're not looking far-fetched you know if we look at countries like Italy and we start to see what they're going through you know, it would be a great indication that you need to conserve and protect your medical forces, right? Mm -hmm. Because the knowledge and experience that we have, you can't pull someone in off the street. So yes, Governor Cuomo may want a couple thousand ventilators, but how many nurses do you have skilled to take care of a patient on a ventilator? How many respiratory Mm -hmm. therapists do you have? And then we need to talk about the staff that you currently have being exposed, you're giving us one mask, you know, eventually your staff is going to start dropping like flies. And that's that's what's what's happening. happening. That's what's happening to other countries. So what do you think? Hold on. So very good point. You know, even you ask for all these supplies, if you don't have the properly trained staff or just the numbers, how is that going to help? What do you think about, you know, there was a military, like, ship that came that they're supposed to be making to a hospital. They're turning the Jacob Javits Center into a place as well. When they start to make these makeshift hospitals, to your point, how does the staffing work for that? Like, where are they suddenly going to get staffed to, like, say they get more space and they get more equipment. How do they get more staff to go to so these, one these way satellite they places? Do is via travel nursing. So um, a lot of these, a lot of New York right now is travel nurses. Um, and then they've also brought a lot of um, medical staff out of retirement. But again, this is another instance where I'm saying that we're bringing all these people in and a lot, of, in a lot of these instances, we're exposing them. So you're bringing in retired nurses that have been retired, out the game, et cetera, et cetera. They're more susceptible. They're probably so older. Yeah. Now you brought in Miss Violet, who's been retired for five, ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, she's not up to date with what's going on, per se. Yeah. Is she causing more harm? So it's all good and well to say that, oh, you're going to reinstate these licenses, but do these nurses know the most up-to-date practice that we're supposed to be following? Are they able to use the equipment? Is there anyone on these floors that they're opening up with any experience to help the next person? Are they training them? Like, are they blindly reinstating them? I mean, I know they're doing that in other countries too, so I get it. You supply and demand the supply is you got to reach into the old, the old biddies, but I'm assuming there must be some condition upon reinstating. They can't just be like, Hey, you're back on the floor. Go out. Like, shouldn't there be some training and shouldn't even you guys who are doing it on the front lines. I feel like there should be, even though it's hard cause you're under stress, but there should needs to be some type of refresher or constant, um, like updates on protocol because we're getting new information. Cause this thing has only been around for three months. 
the only thing that they have given us is basically how to take put on and take off your protective equipment without cross-contaminating, which is very important, mm-hmm. and emphasis on reusing your mask. Wow. Um, I will say I'm grateful even having to reuse my mask because I have colleagues who the little trash bag that we have that they call a gown, mm-hmm. they're being asked to wipe their gowns off and reuse them. So <laughs> in everything, oh you know, things could be better or worse. Right. And I think we also have to brace ourselves because there's another article I read coming forth um, that they're okaying the use of gloves to be used on multiple patients. Oh, no, 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 so, no, no, I no, think... no, I, no. <laughs> was that from the shade room? Cause that did not sound like anything that was real. No, not from the shade room, um, which is sad to say, um, It is just one of those things. So another thing that they're doing at my job, and I'll actually send you the research that I have. So at the end of your shift, after you've used this one mask for the whole shift, Mm -hmm. um, you're putting it back in a Ziploc bag and they're collecting it because Mm -hmm. they are planning to sterilize them for you to reuse them at a later date. Okay. However, I have research that I've been looking up from Stanford which shows that you cannot disinfect N95 masks. You cannot sanitize them. Um, they are truly supposed to be one-time use. Um, so. Wow. Yeah, that sounded love wasn't sure. Uh, so I, I have questions that, you know, actually would have been, I have questions for my sister just from a supply chain management thing and just really manufacturing how hard is it to create N95 masks and why can't we up the production here? Why do we need to get them from China? Can people need jobs? I'm assuming it's some type of materials. From the, why is, isn't this a time where we should be able to create the manufacturing, which will help jobs? You know, you'll have truck drivers sending them, people packaging them and getting them out. I don't understand why we are not injecting business in this way because this is something that's critical that that is very important i believe that that's where the focus should be at a time especially where we have outsourced so much that in the midst of a crisis we can do nothing like we're rendered helpless um and this is taking a toll on all facets of society yeah um you know, because anyone can get infected, you know, and it's debilitating, you know, hopefully if you or I or someone else contracts the virus, we are healthy enough to not have negative implications. However, you know, with all that's going on, there's no guarantee. I Listen, I'm not trying to knock on wood. I, I'm assuming I don't have it. I'm not, listen, I am happy to swell isolate because I I don't want those problems. And then, you know, I'm concerned about, listen, I'm concerned about for a personal thing, our grandmother, our grandmother's 95. She is, she has workers who live in who are helping her. Um, You know, they're younger, but they could go out and they could come in and infect her. She's going to be like a sitting duck. She's, you know, she's bed bound. Uh, Your dad is older. My parents, 
it's oh yeah girl like i'm concerned listen i've had to have some hard conversations with my mom like don't go to costco stay inside you can order online you don't need to go stop inviting your friends over they don't need to see you she's like oh they come in and they don't sit close to me i'm like oh my god mommy could you please stop like no one should be coming over so we're one thing of course we don't want to get to it but we have loved ones who are older and to me very very stubborn well okay vulnerable and stubborn (laughs) yeah i'm I'm concerned about your dad i am grandma all, every, like, listen, we have a lot of old people in our family. I'm concerned. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I just honestly, it's all on a hope and a prayer at this point because <clears throat> there's nothing that we can do. And I think, honestly, the hardest part of all of this mm-hmm. is that people are alone. And, you know, we had to go through with our aunt mm-hmm. recently, and I can't imagine if she was sick and we weren't allowed to be there. And these families are going through that, and that's a hard pill to swallow. I get and, it. and that you know what? To be fair, in their shoes, we if it were our aunt, we would be fighting to see her. And, and it's exactly. true. We would be fighting to see her. And she's crossed my mind a lot through this whole thing. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. Because I felt like in the end, she had, you know, lung issues. And I'm like, damn, if she were a cancer patient in her vulnerable state in the hospital. I'd be concerned about her being there now, even though she's not a patient, but the staff, anything, she's already compromised. Like, that would have oh, been yeah. awful. So I do feel for the people because I would be fighting if it were any of our family, if it were you, I'd be fighting to see you because who wants to be alone in something like this? Oh, yeah. You know, and it's it's just very, it's very, 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 depressing um i again i've been doing this for many many years i am you know you've seen me in my elements and i i don't get phased by a lot of things i try to not let my job affect me i try to you know be able to be compassionate empathetic and everything without getting too involved but i found that with this covid going around that it's just it's having more of an effect on me only because what I'm seeing, like every day I go to work, I'm like, this cannot be real. Like I literally am shell shocked every day by what I'm seeing, what I'm having to go through. You know, I've always said that I would never practice as a nurse in Jamaica. And I feel as though I am working in forced world conditions right now. Like Let's how, talk about Jamaica. I want to talk about Jamaica because I've been I actually, am very impressed. With I've been Jamaica tracking right it now. closely. <laughs> I've been tracking it very closely because again we have family there and I'm concerned. So what do you? And Jamaica's not in the news for everyone else. You know I've mentioned a little bit. So I'll I'll just tee it off on this way. So Jamaica, you guys, a small island in the Caribbean. You know that, and you know because it's isolated. Really, it didn't have any cases, but. Tourism is the number one industry. Tourism. And um, when this first yeah. started, they were 
they were really being defiant and not allowing the cruise ships to dock. Mm -hmm. And I was so proud of them. And they were getting a lot of pressure from the cruise ships. Oh, yeah. And they were full business. Yeah, they were getting a lot of pressure. And that's a big deal for a country does not have a lot of economic, you know, viability. And they were like, no, for the safety of the people. So shout out to Prime Minister Holness, like shout out to him. He did that. However, unfortunately, Dr. Tuff is the Minister of Health. Yes. And he really stood up to these people. And I am beyond impressed because they have surpassed like their response to this and the timeliness in which they responded was imperative. Very impressive. I'm impressed. I'm impressed with Jamaica. And unfortunately, the cases came from the UK and I believe the US from flights. Okay. So that's how it is. And then it's spreading. You know, at last I read, maybe, yes, there was 25 cases, but they have locked down things. They closed down Coronation Market to clean it. I'm so proud of them. And they brought in the Cuban nurses. Yes, to make sure they have staffing. And, you know, caveat to that. So did you, so of course, Jamaica's economy is driven by tourism, but fun fact, did you know that Cuban, one of their main economic drivers is basically renting out their medical personnel? Yes, I know. I've, I've always known about the Cuban nurses and being using, and my mom and I talked about that because she's like, America's stupid because they could be using Cuban nurses, but because of the politics. Um, well, I didn't realize how much money, like I read something saying they get somewhere around like 40 million a year. So, you know, where we always say that Cubans are coming in as helpers, it's, you know, economic um, assistance to them as well. So it's twofold. So that's interesting. Yeah, no, shout out. So, so, okay, Americans don't really know anything about Cuba because we just don't know because of the, the, um, the history. But for you guys, and you guys don't know any geography, but uh, Cuba is like the closest landmass to Jamaica. So we're neighbors. And so in Jamaica and Cuba have always had a really good relationship, which is great because literally we're next door neighbors. So although America, and actually I have a trip planned to Cuba in May, so let's see what happens. Um, you ain't going nowhere. I Just stay okay. home. Well, let the airline cancel on me. You know, my mom has a friend, you know, you know, one of her friends, her good friend and her husband who are like older and, you know, he, and he's 85 and he bought a ticket to go to Florida and, you know, the the airline canceled on him and told him he's too old <laughs> to go on the flight. They're like, well, I also feel like COVID has released the filter from so many industries because now people can really tell you how they feel. And, you know, basically they can just say, oh, COVID made me do it. That's true, because right? they canceled the last ticket, and they said, oh, sir, your date of birth, you will not be flying, and I was like, good, because he shouldn't be, so, you know, he needs to stay home, uh, he is 85, and that's crazy, but um, I just, again, I am proud of Jamaica, I hope it gets under control, I know it's hard, because, look, money is tight in Jamaica, first of all, losing all this to the tourism industry. And they have free health care. Yeah, so... I don't want to be in a hospital. It's not the same quality, right? <laughs> I don't want to be in a hospital. However, I will say that right now, the way how things are running here, mm-hmm. it's very on par with what Jamaica is pre-COVID. Right. I, I can will see say it. that. I can see it because um, America is not used to 
we're not used to survivalists, right? We're not, we're used to having resources and not used, to, we're not accustomed to being in really harsh conditions or, you know, unideal conditions. And Jamaican people have to survive. We're the surviving people. Correct. Black people are surviving people. And so Jamaicans especially are very resourceful. So I can imagine that it feels like that. And America also has good PR. Like we know how to spin, like everything looks good, but our healthcare system mm-hmm. is shitty. Let's be real. So Correct. without COVID, it's shitty. Yeah, without I, COVID, I will it's be shitty. the first to admit that. Yeah. So <clears throat> it's, come on. Of course it is. But I will also say one of the things that I have been stressing to my colleagues is, you know, we need to get accustomed to working without the luxuries, right? We need to get accustomed to, you know, and this is why I love, you know, these older nurses, they bring a wealth of knowledge without technology, which is something that we are going to have to start considering. And I've told my colleagues, we need to start, they tell me that I I have PTSD or whatnot, but I'm like, we need to train and practice as if there's no truck coming in with supplies. That's true. Because that's a very harsh reality of where we're headed, Mm. right? A lot of supplies are tight right now, and it's only going to get worse. It's predicted to get worse. And then what we also have to consider is, you know, we are utilizing things on such a mass hysteria level right now Mm -hmm. that, you know, people aren't even vetting things, you know, which is why I brought up the mask where people are selling fraudulent masks. So, you know, people are getting, you know, employees are getting exposed, you know, and it's not just the nurses or the doctors. Mm -hmm. I have to shout out our ancillary staff, okay, Mm -hmm. because they are just as much in harm's way as the rest of us. You know, they're the ones cleaning these rooms, turning them over, Mm -hmm. you know, a room now for, for us to give a room. So it's four hours after the patient leaves, And then it takes another hour and a half to two hours to clean it. Yeah. Because now they're using these LED lights to basically clean the room. Mm -hmm. They're cleaning them, but then they're putting lights in as well. And they're doing it multiple times. So Mm -hmm. this is a very extended cleaning that they're doing. And rightfully so. Right. So... These are all things that we have to consider. A lot of the luxuries that we've had mm-hmm. are no more. I I no, I I agree and I think we we all have to right now because I, what people even though I'm giving solutions of yes, I think we should transform our manufacturing to do things. In the meantime, though, people need to realize that we're in a global economy. The demand is not just in the U.S. So everyone is stretched in. Italy's running out. Spain. Everyone in oh, Europe. Yeah. Everyone, the Caribbean, Latin America, and China, Asia, which started as a big thing, which have bigger populations. So look, just from a resourcing globally, we're not going to have the supplies. So Gail is Correct. Right. And it's not like once upon a time where, you know, it, it would it's isolated. This is not an isolated incident where we can say only America is affected and yeah. someone else can offer us aid. Yeah. A lot of these countries that would be able to assist are themselves going through crisis. Exactly. So they have nothing to assist with. Exactly. And that's the troublesome part is that it's not restricted to a certain area. You know, people like to bring up, oh, 
they're blowing this out of proportion. Remember SARS, remember H1N1. It's great that you can remember those. It's great that we can say that we had positive outcomes. However, the only disease virus that is as fatal as what we're experiencing now was the Spanish flu. Right, 1918. 1918, and that went on for over 200 days and killed over a million people. That's no small feat. The Spanish flu also occurred when we didn't have people living in such small spaces. And they weren't flying up and down either. Correct. You know, transport wasn't as convenient as it is now. You know, so the spread of disease is significantly, you know, increased in comparison to the Spanish flu. Also, our world's population is almost triple what it was then. So you talk about a fatality rate that is going to skyrocket based on the numbers. And that's not me. That's just looking at the numbers. So let's take it to our president. Yesterday, you guys, I'm recording recording this on a Wednesday, uh, March 25th. Yesterday, the Cheeto, the president, said (laughs) that he wants... Things to be back to normal and churches to be full on Easter. What do you think about that? Is that I won't be going anywhere. <laughs> as you know what they say, as for me and my house, right? At my house, we will be inside. You but know, he wants businesses. He wants everything to be up and running by Easter. It should be, you know, taken care of. But this is also the same president that just a mere month ago did not understand the magnitude of what was happening. You know, Hillary tweeted, don't trust somebody who looks at a solar eclipse without glasses. And he is, we should all know by now that he is not credentialed. He is not trustworthy. He just talks to talk. However, I would not encourage people to to look at that timeline. Mm -hmm. You know, look at the trajectory over the last three weeks. Like I, I, I wake up and I feel like it's the first thing I do. I look at the numbers, like where we are. Me too. And, you know, Italy hasn't peaked. They're nearing their peak based on their estimates. But they're still having, they, their death toll is going up by the hundreds each day. Yep. Not by the week, not by the month, but we're talking about on a day-to-day basis. So when you have 600 people dying a day to a disease, not crime or violence, but to a disease, that's frightening. Yeah. Because that's to come here. And, that's and we're a the much bigger country. So let's be real. We're a much bigger country than Italy. So that's the thing that is interesting to me um, is China, people need to take the numbers they provided with a grain of salt. People should know that whatever numbers they provided is probably five times greater than whatever they said. True. And China can also control their citizens better than America. That's true. That's true. And that, and that is, I think one of the biggest factors is that in these countries, when they say stay home, people are staying home. The furthest they're going is their balcony. When they tell you that you will be fined or put in jail, people take that serious. In America, they think it's a joke. You know, we have used freedom as a crutch. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And now when we need, you know, it's just like a child. You know, they say train up a child. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't teach your child manners when they're young, when they become a teenager, they let loose. No different. You know, we have allowed people in this country to say freedom of speech, freedom of this, freedom of everything. And now when you need people to abide by the rules, they're using that same, oh, I have freedom of speech. Oh, my First Amendment rights. I can do whatever I want. So it is harder for you to try to contain this because people are just doing, they don't listen. They're doing whatever they want and there's nothing that the government can really do. Well, but half the government doesn't agree either. The damn guy in Florida, he doesn't want to shut down anything. And I'm like, you have a state full of old people. And he Correct. doesn't think it's he doesn't think it's that serious. So I completely agree culturally. Actually, Spain is having the same issue. I was reading about Spain where the police um, and even Italy the last few days have really, although they have the lockdown, there have been people secretly ch- like going to bars and secretly meeting up. And they have really like raised the fines and done stuff to really try to deter them. And the police are getting people's faces like stay your ass home. And we culturally are not going, like I see so Half the people, and I tell people all the time, it's not just millennials. People think it's blame. It's not millennials. There are older people. It's everyone in America who thinks it's a hoax. They think it's over. They think that the, we're trying to, the government is trying to make a military state. All the conspiracy state. theories. All the conspiracy theories. But don't listen. They're trying to make a, a, a corona vaccine to, to poison you. Like, all the stuff. But half these people don't get vaccines anyway. So I don't understand, you know the rationale but so half the people are not going to listen and so i and for us being such a big country and let's be real there's still not enough tests to go around so Mm-mm. we're really not going to the peak i think we're it's, it's going to take longer because people are not taking it seriously um oh, yeah. but not enough people are taking it seriously and we just don't have the culture of being obedient or listening you know it's very like conspiracy theories i want my freedom i want my guns i want this and so people would rather have that than public safety and public health i mean oh yeah and i also think that we live in a time and it's you know we have a very selfish country you know people are very selfish in the u.s you know where if it doesn't directly affect them if it doesn't directly affect their families, they don't care. Yeah. Um, and this is not the time for you to wait until it affects you to feel as though you can be a decent human being. A lot of this just comes down to common decency is what it comes down to. True. True. You know, it's we live in an era where you don't know your neighbors anymore. You know, we're just very fast paced. And this whole thing, I hope that if nothing else comes out of it, that we can get better human beings, if nothing else. Because this is a very hard pill to swallow, and it's something that I've only read about in history books, and I've never thought that I would live to see this. Yeah. You know, I was talking to my coworker, and I was like, this is like a once-in-a-career event, right? Because there was a Spanish flu, and then we haven't really had a pandemic of this magnitude since. You know, you had SARS, but it came and went. You had H1N1, came and went. Ebola. Just Ebola yeah. came and went. 
Nothing those were on contained. this level. They were more contained. This one has just truly spread um, across the globe. So last thing I want to talk about, and I, I'm, I hate to go back to the president, but he mentioned <laughs> this drug chloroquine, which is an anti-chloroquine. So <clears throat> which is a um anti malaria drug. Correct. Have you seen I mean I have a I have a thing here of a list of different drugs that they think could help COVID. There's Coletra, which is a HIV yep. antiretroviral. There's a interferon alpha two B for hepatitis C, Remdesivir, it's experimental. Favipiravir, influenza, like they have these drugs that they think could potentially help. Can you say why do they think these particular drugs? Um, and then based on your experience, are you guys trying any drugs? Are you seeing anything? So what do you think hospital, of this? We trials, Coletra, we used that one very briefly and it wasn't, we weren't seeing good results or we weren't seeing anything. Mm-hmm. So eventually we moved to um, Plaquenil, which is a hydroxychloridine. Um, so we moved to that. Most of the patients now we're doing Plaquenil and zinc is a combination that my hospital is doing. Mm-hmm. I've spoken to the infectious disease doctor and basically, they're saying the reason why they're trying Plaquenil, it's an anti-malaria drug, and it's also used for um, patients with, like, lupus. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that the reason why they think it works, and everything is just all hypothetical at this point. Nobody knows. Nothing is proven or anything. This is all off-label use. Mm-hmm. Um, they're saying that patients that live in malaria-prone areas are not affected. Hold on, hold on. I feel like we need to unpack that because malaria-prone sounds like Africa to me. I I think it's code for Africa because yes. that's so. <laughs> I feel like we're. And I think yeah. part of that is why there was the notion that black people don't get. COVID. Which is not true. I think that's which is not true. I think that's where some of it is coming from. Again, I heard I, hold on. I heard that the countries in Africa also, especially Western Africa, have been prepared because of Ebola and certain of protocol that was taken at that point to help prevent the spread is being used now for COVID and that's also helping it not spread across the continent. That's what I read. So, you know, I think it's only in America or like your more privileged areas that think that Africa is stupid. And I think the notion comes also down to color. But again, I don't want to go on my black woman, my angry black woman rant. No, but, but I think it's a valid, I think it's a valid they, thing because I keep seeing this and it's not true. Like black people are dying from it. We see it. However, just because it's not going rampant in Africa doesn't necessarily mean that we have some special genetic juice. They also did learn from Ebola. Like they had their own, you know, epidemic. And because of they those They had learnings, their own response criteria. Yeah. And, you know, also Africa has been prone to many of these diseases for as long as we can remember. You know, when Ebola came about, people were making a big deal. They were like, oh my gosh. They treated it like a pandemic, right. but it has never 
been extinct in Africa, you know, in many areas, in many regions, especially in more rural areas, Ebola is very much still present. Right. It's just not, again, you know, where I said people aren't, there's no common decency. People aren't showing um, any kind of remorse or any empathy to people because they're not directly affected. So, you know, even though the news has died down about Ebola, other places are still affected. But, you know, we're comfortable on our side. We are not worried about that. It doesn't affect us. Same with COVID. A lot of people, they it's not affecting anyone they know, so they don't care. Right. Which is sad, you know. Um, however, I i am not sure if they're going to stick with the Plaquenil mm-hmm. routine. Um, I do know that they are supposed to be trying a new drug at my hospital I don't remember the name um but at this point they're just winging it honestly um I do not there's a lot of research there's a race right now for the cure there's a race for any treatment Mm -hmm. but basically what they're doing it's all symptom management that they're doing um most things now are supportive treatment not necessarily curative right so So have you seen, so I like to end stuff on the positive note. We've been going for a while here, and I think we're getting kind of towards that. Have you seen, I'm, I'm assuming, people who had an, you know, a downward trajectory but somehow turned the corner? Like any positive outcomes? Or is it just disconnected so you being in the ER, you can't actually see what happens in the end? So for me, so when we have, when I have patients that come into the ER, that are COVID positive and have complications, I am not seeing good outcomes because, you know, they're ending up on the ICU or different wards. Um, I have had patients that have gone home. How they fare at home, I don't know. So it's very hard for me to put put it in light, um, the outcomes that these patients are having. Um, you know, when we look at the numbers in the grand scheme of things and the death toll, it doesn't seem that much mm-hmm. um, to some people um, as far as the amount of patients that are recovering. And like I mentioned, it's a virus. So similar virus in terms of like the family of the common cold, mm-hmm. but this one is just very fatal. Um, so, you know, the patients that we're admitting are sicker than normal right so in that instance i'm not seeing the same outcome so i would say no got it oh look it's a reality i mean i think for everyone this was very insightful i think it's great to have like a snapshot from someone on the front lines of what's really happening in the u.s you know, outside of the bullshit of the media, sensationalism, everything, like hearing what is what's really going on. I think it's uh, aligned with things that we've been seeing, like in terms of Italy, Spain, just if people are paying attention globally, we're all in it together trying to figure it out. You know, again, I've been shouting out all of the medical workers and people on the front lines and the staff, you're right, the cleaning staff who are in the hospital, like, this is so important because all of you are for real, doing God's work, trying to help people and putting your own lives at risk. So shout out to you and everyone in your profession, because it's not easy. This is not an easy time. But, you know, I, I would say, you know, I, I know it's hard to stay positive because this is, you know, 
something like this hasn't happened in a hundred years. You know, you are doing good. And those patients, I'm sure, appreciate you taking care of them, you know, in their hard state and, you know, try to take care of yourself. I hope you can stay home yourself. Uh, well, I'm, on too, day, so I'm on day four of quarantine, so I'll let you know. <laughs> you'll be fine. So, and, and, I'm, and I mean, that's hard. You're not there to help, but you need to take care of yourself. So, you know, stay home. Don't see your parents, please. Um, don't see my I parents I will not. Either. Don't see my parents. No, either. I am staying home. I am making no social visits anytime soon. Um, and that's just from a personal, you know, I would not want to know that I'm questionable at this point, and especially with working with confirmed patients. I just, I limit my exposure outside even before I started to feel a little sick. Um, I was just literally home and work because now my classes have moved to online. So I have no reason to really leave the house. Yeah. So I, I get it. I get it. Well, look, Thank you, Gail, for coming to episode 41. This has been... From episode 6 to 41, huh? We're making moves. (laughs) Listen, we needed the technology. But, um, of course, you're welcome back anytime. You have a busy schedule, so it's hard to get you. But this worked out, and I'm happy you're able to come and, like, shed some light. This is crazy times in which we live but you know shout out to jamaica they're look they're doing the right thing listen they they are outshining everyone right I, now i know shout out to jamaica yeah really in the caribbean they're actually doing very well if you got dr does not have it under control trinidad there's a lot of stuff going on you guys don't know so jamaica is actually doing um a really good job so shout out to jamaica shout out to the cuban nurses 140 cuban nurses who came to jamaica agreed to and they also went to Italy, so that was yes. awesome as well. Yeah, yeah. So sh- listen, shout out to the Caribbean Massive, you know, doing doing big things in these hard times. And I think a lot of research is going to end up coming from the Caribbean related to this in, you know, years to come. But we just have to wait and see what happens. I'm excited to see what comes from this, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. A year from now, this will look very different, right? So I think all of us have to just do the right thing, hang in there. You know, we're surviving people. And a year from now, we'll be looking back on this and, you know, have some different insights. I hope so. I'm I'm staying on a positive light as far as that's concerned yeah. um, and hoping that we don't take the trajectory of, you know, like the Spanish flu. Um, that we can rebound from this, you know, with all the technology and everything that we have. I think we can. I mean, even live, listen, this is challenging for a lot of people, but let's be real. We have conveniences that we didn't have before. Like you don't actually have to necessarily go out to the grocery store. You can order something online, have it come to your door. Even if you don't have money and credit, you go to the, you get a prepaid card and you load it with money and you can use that online. Like we have access in a different way to make this more manageable than it would have been 50 or 100 years ago. So we should all be looking at silver linings in a hard time. Like, yes, it's hard, but life is fucking hard. Okay, life is hard and these kind of things happen. And so we do have to look at, you know, the positives of different things. It's, It's hard to socially distance, things like that. But, you know, you're at home. 
you, you can see the blessing of being with your loved ones in close proximity, spending more time than you did before. So I encourage everybody to try to find a positive if it's that you're looking into doing a different hobby than that, you, you know, using some creativity that you hadn't done before. Use this time to self-reflect, be more compassionate. Like Gail said, like be decent. Like this is a time to really um, hone into things that are positive. Agreed. So, we can deal with some positivity right now. Yeah, we, we just have to look at the bright side. Like it's hard, but um, we will get through it. And you just weather the storm. That's, you know. That's what we're doing, hanging in there. That's all we can. That's all we can do. All right, so everybody, this has been episode forty-one of Gabrick One. I don't know the title. I have to think about it. Listen to it. I'm not sure. Title suggestions? <laughs> can you think of anything off the top of your head? The cozy pandemic. Well, that's not that sexy, but it's not. We'll we'll work on it. <laughs> title to come. <laughs> title to come. All right, everybody. This has been episode forty-one. Take care of yourself. Wash your hands, and thank you, Miss Gail, for joining. My pleasure. See you next time. All right. Take care.